Okay, we're on Lord's Day 2. Question 3 states, For where do you know your sins and misery? And the answer is from the law of God. So much confusion exists today over the law, trying to understand what the law is, what the Ten Commandments are, the relationship between the Old Covenant, the New Covenant, regarding the Ten Commandments for today. Were they just for the time of Israel? When did God's law begin? All of these questions are raised today in Christian circles regarding the law. So questions to consider. What is the law? So if somebody asked you, what's the law of God? How would you describe that to the person? When did law begin? What's the purpose of the law? What is its threefold usage? What is the Mosaic law? And what are the threefold categories under the Mosaic law? What's the difference between the law written on tablets of stone versus the law written on the hearts of humanity? Are the Ten Commandments just for Israel or are they for the church today? What does it mean that we are no longer under the law or that Christ was the end of the law? What does Paul mean when he says that? And can a person ever enter into such a state of holiness where the Holy Spirit takes over and the person can willfully stop sinning? Can a Christian ever get to that point? So if someone was to ask you the difference between law and gospel, what would you say? Think about that for a moment. How would you define the law to somebody? How would you define gospel? If somebody came up and asked you, what's the gospel? How would you define that? Then how would you articulate how they work together? Or do they work together? So simply put, if you're going to answer this question, somebody comes up to you and asks you, what is the law? Simply the law is what we do, what God has commanded us to do. That's law. The gospel is what Christ has done. So the law, think of do, and gospel, think of done. The law and the gospel, they do not oppose each other. The law contains the gospel. The gospel contains the law. Both the law and the gospel together form what is known as the perfect rule of righteousness. We see this in the Westminster Confession, 19.7, where it states, Neither are the forementioned uses of the law contrary to the grace of the gospel. So the law is not contrary to the gospel, but it complies with it. The Spirit of Christ subduing and enabling the will of man to do that freely and cheerfully which the will of God revealed in the law required to be done. So there is a dynamic between law and gospel that go together. But when we think of law, think of do. And when we think of gospel, think of what Christ has done. So Lord's Day 2, question 3, part B. When did the law begin? Many of us might think the law began in Exodus 20, when Moses came down with the Ten Commandments. But the correct answer is actually... We see law already in the creation account in the Garden of Eden when God told Adam and Eve what they could and what they could not do. We're seeing law right here. Remember, law meaning do. God spoke to Adam and Eve. He gave them the parameters in which they were to function and to operate. And Adam and Eve obeyed God's law perfectly. Gospel at this time was not yet needed because they had not yet sinned. There was no need for salvation at this point in the garden before Genesis chapter 3. 
We see that the gospel didn't come into existence until after the fall, which is why Genesis 3.15 is where we see the promise of the Messiah crushing the head of the serpent. This is the first mention of the gospel. It comes after the fall. The Messiah going to crush the head of the serpent, the seed of the woman, the gospel. Genesis 3.15, because of the fall. We see law before this, but there was no need for salvation because Adam and Eve had not yet sinned. But now that Adam and Eve have sinned, we see the promise of the gospel coming right after the fall in Genesis 3.15. Since they were still in their perfected state, Adam and Eve before the fall were able to keep the law perfectly unless they chose not to. And this is exactly what sin is. The lack of conformity to or the breaking of the law of God. Which leads us into part C, common misconceptions of the law. So what are some common misunderstandings people have regarding the law? First one is obedience to the law can save you. It's a common misnomer today that if we believe and obey God's law, that saves us. This is completely false. The law was never intended to save anybody. Breaking it can only result in judgment. The law cannot save you. Even if you obeyed the law perfectly, you still would not be saved because you still have original sin from Adam. Salvation or appeasing God by works. It's got a term. It's known as legalism. The law is to be obeyed through our relationship with God by faith, not by trying to earn or merit God's favor. So when we think of the law and we think of God, We're not trying to appease him. We're not trying to please him or earn his favor or merit. Rather, what the law is, it's an indicator of how we are to relate to God. Fellowship. Love. If we love God, we keep his commandments. So we think of the law as regulations and rules. Rather, think of it as relationship. How does the Lord want me to live? How does the Lord want me to worship and live and glorify him? How does the Lord want me to interact and love my neighbor around me? Law to the believer is relationship. The purpose of the law is to grow in grace, to grow in faith, and to grow in obedience, not to earn our justification by way of merit. And this is our, one of our, um, strongest objections to Roman Catholicism is that Roman Catholicism also teaches that a person is initially saved by grace through faith at baptism. And it's here where the person receives what's referred to as sanctified grace. So after a person has been baptized, they receive sanctified grace. But in order to keep that salvation, the law must be continually obeyed. Otherwise, your salvation and that sanctified grace that you've received at baptism is forfeited because you've committed a mortal sin. So merit is introduced to the equation. Yes, you're saved by grace through faith in baptism in Roman Catholicism, but now it's up to you through merit to maintain and to keep it. So on one side of the coin, it looks like salvation's by grace through faith, but then when you flip the coin over, you see merit and you see works. Why is it that Works-based salvation is so ingrained within our human nature. To try and please God by our works, 
to try to appease him, to try to earn our own way, because the unregenerate humanity is currently in a fallen state. Remember, Adam fell in the garden under what we refer to as the probationary period of the covenant of works. Fallen humanity is still operating under this principle. There was a probationary period of time when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they were forbidden to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This was a test. Adam and Eve failed the test. There was a time when God wanted to see works-based perfection. They already had perfection. Salvation was not needed yet at this point. God was testing them. They failed. Adam and Eve, fallen Adam and Eve, outside of the gospel, anybody who is born of fallen Adam and Eve finds themselves in this same situation. Fallen under the covenant of works, trying to appease God by pleasing him through works. Adam and Eve failed here. All of humanity sinned and fell with Adam and Eve at this point. For some reason, it is ingrained in us to keep trying to please God through works. We've failed. The curse has already entered in. There is no longer any hope through our works and through our effort. Adam and Eve in the garden were sinless. They were able to keep the law perfectly. This is no longer possible. Sin has entered into the human race. All of Adam's posterity sinned and fell with him. We're no longer capable of pleasing God by our actions, but this is still ingrained with us to do this. Genesis 3.15, the mention of the gospel, is what's referred to as the covenant of grace. This is where salvation is to be found. So we have two different places. We have the covenant of works under Adam, or we have the covenant of grace under the new Adam. Saved by grace through faith. Those who have been saved by grace through faith are under the covenant of grace, under the covenant promise of the Messiah. And those of us who reject the gospel, who reject Genesis 3.15, remain in Adam under the covenant of works, still trying to please him through the law. So part D, how does the law of Moses fit in? The law of Moses, Exodus chapter 20. The Ten Commandments are the moral law of God written in written form. So we have the moral law of God all the way from the garden. We see it through Genesis chapter 4 under Cain and Abel, where murder, they understood murder to be sin. So the law of God, the moral law of God did not come in Genesis 20. It existed from creation. We're created in God's image. We have the moral law of God written on our hearts. So when the Ten Commandments came about, it's the moral law of God being put in written form. And this no way in any shape or form changes or contradicts God's moral law up to this point. Rather, the Ten Commandments amplify what the moral law of God is. So we have what's known as natural law, which is what we learn about God from the created order in human nature. And we have moral law. It's the morality of God already placed within our hearts from the start. Romans 2, 14 through 15 tell us this. For when the Gentiles who did not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. So what's Paul saying here? The Gentiles who do not have the written law of God, so they don't have a tablet of Ten Commandments, they still obey the law of God in part because it's written on their heart. 
Verse 15 says, They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicted thoughts accuse them, and it even excuse them. So what we're seeing here is a person without the law of Moses, and what Paul is doing is he's differentiating between the Jew and the Gentile here. The Jewish person had the written law of God. The Gentile did not. But the Gentile, by their actions, show that the moral law of God is written on their hearts and their conscience accuses them when they break it, which is why you go into any culture, stealing another person's property is wrong. Murdering somebody is wrong. Gossiping and telling false witness about somebody is wrong. Disobedience to parents is wrong. This moral law of God is written on the human heart in spite of having the Ten Commandments written down or not. But the problem is, is our sin nature that we inherited from Adam distorts this law of God within us. And the Ten Commandments are a detailed account giving us insight and clarity into God's moral law. It is a written format of God's moral law in detail. So the law of God did not start in Exodus 20 with the Ten Commandments. It's part of the created order from the beginning. And the source of our moral law is the very character of God himself being created in God's image. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, we see the moral law of God, humanity reflecting the moral law of God perfectly until Genesis chapter 3 when the fall entered in. So in every era of biblical history, God has had his relationship with his people. He's blessed his people, and then the people responded out of obedience and submission. Under the Mosaic economy, we see the moral law and the Ten Commandments, but there's two other categories of law. We see if we continue to read in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, we see what are also known as civil laws and ceremonial laws. The civil and ceremonial aspects of the law were fulfilled in Christ. They are no longer practiced today. They were for the Mosaic economy, for the children of Israel, under the theocratic kingdom of God. So let me give you two examples. Example of civil law. Today we no longer stone somebody for committing adultery. But under the Mosaic economy, under the theocratic kingdom of God, this was practiced. But the civil law that we see for stoning somebody for adultery, we no longer do it today. Another example, ceremonial law, keeping the Passover meal of Exodus chapter 14. Today, Christ is our Passover lamb. We no longer keep the Passover feast. Christ fulfilled it. The Levitical priesthood is no more. The ceremonial laws, the religious regulations, the feasts, the customs, the square beards, the threaded garments, the dietary restrictions, all of that has come to an end. And we see this when we read the book of Hebrews. It explains to us how Christ is superior to the Levitical priesthood and to Moses himself. So therefore, the civil and the ceremonial laws that we see in Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are no longer in place today. They were a type of Christ. They were foreshadowing Christ. But Christ fulfilled them. But we still have the moral aspect of the law the Ten Commandments, and this is for all people at all times. 
We are all created to worship God correctly. Stealing, murdering, coveting, these have always been sins and they continue to be so. So we see that this moral law of God is written on our hearts and didn't start in Exodus 20, but rather it started in the Garden of Eden being created in God's image. Brings us to Lord's Day 2, question 3, part E. Confusion over the law. So now it's debated within Christian circles. Are the Ten Commandments for the New Testament church today? Or were the Ten Commandments simply given for Israel under the Mosaic economy? Many Christians today say that we are no longer under the Ten Commandments because we are no longer under the Old Covenant. Rather, we are under grace, the New Covenant. Since Christ has abolished the law, we are no longer under the law, but we are now under grace. Meaning, the Ten Commandments were for Israel, and they were not for the church today. Is this true? Many Christians today would say yes, and here's why. There's a list of verses here below where they would use as proof texts that demonstrate that the New Testament church is not under the Ten Commandments today. Romans 7, 6, Paul says we have been released from the law. He says we are not in the old way of the written code. Galatians 3, 25 and 26, Paul says we are no longer under a guardian, referring to the law. Romans 6.14 says you are not under the law. Romans 7.4 says you have died to the law. Romans 10.4 says Christ is the end of the law. Ephesians 2.15 says Christ abolished the law of commandments. And in 2 Corinthians 3.11, For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory meaning the law has come to an end. So if the Ten Commandments are still for today, if you believe that the Ten Commandments is for the New Covenant, for the New Testament Church, how do you reconcile these verses that simply teach that the law has come to an end? So we would answer this like this. Yes, a believer is still required to follow the Ten Commandments today, not the civil and ceremonial aspects of the Mosaic Covenant. Those have become obsolete. Christ has fulfilled those. But the moral law has been around since creation. The Ten Commandments are a detailed description of God's moral law. This means they are still valid for the church today. Yes, Christ fulfilled the moral law also. But the moral law is still required. It was required from Genesis 1. And there has never been a time where God's moral law has not been in force. Romans 3.31 states this. Do we then overthrow the law by faith? Meaning, is the law now obsolete because faith in Christ is here? And he says what? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Faith doesn't replace the law. Faith doesn't replace the Ten Commandments. Faith fulfills the law for us. It doesn't replace it. It fulfills it. There's a difference. Because it trusts in Christ's fulfillment of the law. And because of the grace we receive 
through faith, we continue to uphold the law. Let's unpack this a little bit. What does that mean? Paul is not telling the Christian they are no longer under the Ten Commandments in those verses that we just read. He is telling the Christian that they are not justified by the law. Romans 3.28 tells us, For we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. It is not that we are no longer under the Ten Commandments. Rather, we are not justified by the Ten Commandments. That's what Paul is saying. The Ten Commandments could never justify us to begin with. The law can only condemn. We are justified only by faith, only by the righteousness of Christ. So a question comes up. What about Romans 10.4, where it says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Doesn't that verse right there say the law is ended? The Ten Commandments are over. Christ has fulfilled them. They are part of the New Testament. So the question we have to ask is, what does Christ being the end of the law mean? And it can be understood in one of two ways. The first understanding is that Christ terminated the law, meaning we are no longer under the law today, which would mean we are no longer under the Ten Commandments. That's one way of understanding it. Another way is this. Christ is the goal. He's the fulfillment of the law, fulfilling its righteous requirement, which would mean we are still under the law of the Ten Commandments today, but Christ has fulfilled the obligation. We don't come to the law to be saved. We come to salvation by grace through faith, and because of that, we obey the law relationally through Christ. So these are the two options. One, that the law is terminated, or second, that the goal, Christ is the goal and the fulfillment of it, but we're still obligated to keep the commandments. So the Greek word for end is telos, and the lexicon gives us two definitions. The first is the end, the termination, or the cessation. That's the first definition of telos, which is the word that Paul uses for end in Romans 10.4. The second definition is the end, the goal, or the outcome. So which one is it? Romans 10.4, when Paul says Christ is the end of the law, is he saying that Christ is the end and the termination of it? Or is he the goal or the outcome of it? And with any verse in Scripture, when we're reading it, we have to read the verse within the context. The context is the key. What is the context that Paul is talking about? What is the setting of Romans 10 verse 4. What is the surrounding context? What is Paul explaining here? Romans 10 verse 4 finds itself in the middle of Romans 9.30 through 10.13. It's a consistent thought that Paul is developing. This is the context of the verse. The context of Romans 9.30 through 10.13 is contrasting two ways for a person to obtain righteousness with God. One, by the works of the law. Second, by faith in the gospel. Israel attempted to attain their salvation by works, and they failed. The Gentiles attained salvation by faith in the gospel, and they were successful. This is the contrast that Paul is making in context. The object of faith in both the Old and the New Testaments is the same. Faith in the Messiah. 
not in works. This means Christ being the end of the law is referring to Jesus completing the righteous requirement of the law. This is what the Jews failed in doing. The text is not saying Jesus now has abolished the Ten Commandments. As Romans 8, 3-4 states, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Here's the key in verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. There it is. Jesus did not abolish the Ten Commandments. Rather, he fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. The Jews were not trying to do this. They were trying to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law by themselves. The Gentiles, on the other hand, by faith in Christ, fulfilled the law because of faith. They were trusting in Christ's righteous fulfillment of the law. Jesus did for us what we could not do. He lived a perfect life according to the law. He fulfilled every aspect of it. This is why Paul could say in Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because Jesus took our guilt. We, in exchange, take his righteousness. So going back now to Romans 9.30-10.13, through 10, 13, we see in Romans 10.4, in its context, is referring to the law as the righteous requirement of Christ, fulfilling the demands of the law. Not that the law is no longer in force today, but the righteous requirement was fulfilled in Christ. So in the very next verse, Romans 10.5, we read, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. So in context, Paul is warning us not to be like the Israelites who tried to earn their salvation by keeping the law. That's what Romans 10.5 is saying. The Jews were trying to earn their righteousness by keeping it. That's not possible. Paul is encouraging us to believe in what Christ has done. Christ fulfilled the law. He's the telos or the end or the goal, the fulfillment of the law. We receive justification by believing in the finished work of Christ, not by the works of the law. Now, going back to the beginning, when we read all of those verses that seem to indicate that we are no longer under the law, what those verses are saying is that we are no longer under the righteous requirement of the law because that has been completed in Christ. We are no longer under the law's curse. Those verses are not saying that the law is obsolete and no longer for Christians today, or that the law was for the Old Testament and grace is for the New Testament. We see law and grace in both Testaments. The Ten Commandments, was Exodus 20, is the moral law written down, but that law goes all the way back to the beginning based upon God's holy character, and it continues to go on all the way through into the New Testament. Always keep in mind Romans 3.31, where it states, Do we then overthrow the law by faith? Meaning, is the law become obsolete? Do we toss it aside? Was it just simply for the Old Testament church? Paul says, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. 
The law has been with us since the beginning of creation. Salvation has always been by grace through faith. Grace and the law work together in forming what is referred to as the perfect rule of righteousness.